Welcome to the Binge Breakers Podcast. I'm Jacqueline. I am here to teach you how I overcame bulimia and my binge eating disorder, and how you can too. Through simple steps of mind management, repairing your relationship with yourself, understanding your habits, and intuitive eating. Disclaimer. This recording is not intended to be utilized as medical advice or a medical diagnosis. If you think you're in need of medical attention or treatment, please seek it immediately. This recording will also contain sensitive subjects such as binging and purging, weight and depression. Please listen at your own discretion and do what you think is best for you. Hello, podcast listeners. I've said this intro, I don't know how many times now, and it just doesn't feel right, but hello out there, you listening now, whatever you're doing during your day, whether you're walking or doing the dishes or cleaning or driving, I appreciate you taking the time to listen to this. Today, I'm going to be talking about um, how what you do in the beginning of recovery isn't necessarily what you're going to do outside of recovery. And I think it's an important topic to address because a lot of people have to do certain things in recovery and they feel really difficult or they feel impossible, or they feel like if we do this forever, like eating certain foods in the quantity that they're eating, if we do this forever, it will just continue. And I'll never, ever be able to live the life I want to live. This keeps on going. How can I do this forever? And so because of that, they start to panic and then they backtrack and they go back to what their eating disorder was telling them to do or what they, the behaviors they did in their eating disorder. And it's actually not realistic. And what you have to do in recovery sometimes is completely different to what, how you live your life now, like how I ate in recovery when I first started to stop binging and purging. I ate completely differently and my habits were completely, I was a different person. And now my lifestyle is something that I really love that I've built up over time. So this podcast, the reason I'm doing it is because people, I want them to have hope and I want them to stop trying to think of this is how can I do this in a way that is forever? Because that's not realistic. What you have to do then it will not be the same in multiple facets. So if you are panicking about all that you have to do in recovery and how you feel like it's not sustainable and you're hyperventilating about that, hyperventilating about that, then go ahead and keep on listening. And if you are a regular listener of this podcast, if you find it valuable, this episode and all the other episodes before, please go ahead and give this podcast a review and rating. It really helps the podcast out, helps it get seen more, helps me out. And also other people that are listening or looking for podcasts like these, they're trying to look for help for bulimia recovery and binge eating, then they're more likely to see this podcast. But for those of you guys that also just have been listening for a long time, I, I really appreciate it. Thank you. I couldn't be able to do what I do without you out there. So thank you so, so much. So what inspired this podcast was a post I made um, last week about how in the beginning of recovery, every single day I had a halo top ice cream, like a pint of Halo Top ice cream and smothered it in Hershey's Magic Shell uh, topping. And I think I've said this on maybe the private podcast in my group coaching program. So hopefully I'm not repeating myself, but um, I was no joke going through bottles of that stuff per week, not like per month, you know, per week, I was getting multiple bottles of the Hershey's Magic Shell per week. And then I also was going through daily at least a pint of halo top, if not more. Sometimes if there was like, for some reason, a leftover pint, I would have probably the rest of that too. But daily I was having that. And the thing I talked about in the post was how, even though it wasn't the healthiest thing to be doing, it was not healthy for me to having that much chocolate syrup. Um, and it probably was a little weird that I was going through the pint of halo top daily. I'm sure there were maybe some negative health consequences to that. 
Um, and it was definitely like my emotional support ice cream at night. It was like a crutch. It wasn't binging, but it was for sure emotional eating. The thing about that is that it helped me get across to the other side, to the diet that I have now, which is much more sustainable. I don't have ice cream on the daily. Um, it's not a big deal. And the reason that it helped me is one, it was something that I felt safe around. It didn't, I didn't feel the need to binge on it for some reason. Uh, I didn't keep foods like gallons of ice cream or bags of chips or peanut butter, any food that I felt like was a massive quantity of something I really loved that I would binge on. I didn't keep that in there, but the halo top and the Hershey's chocolate syrup for whatever reason was somehow justifiable in my brain. And I didn't feel the need to binge on it. And if I had it, I didn't feel like it was so bad that I had to purge or that I had to binge and purge. So it was right in that sweet spot. It was still a treat, but it was not. Um, I justified that the Halo Top was low calorie and that I wasn't having that much sauce, even though I was buying multiple bottles per week. So let's be honest, I was having a lot. Um, so that was one thing. It, like, it was the safe food that I could consistently eat without binging. And it helped me because then I was constantly seeing myself have this treat food and not binge. And so it was building my confidence that, Hey, I can have something. There are some things I can eat that I, I don't binge and not everything, everything sweet that I'd eat, every treat that I eat ends up in a binge. It also built up trust with myself that I would allow myself to have treats as often as I wanted it to. And yeah, I didn't have other things, but at least I was allowing myself that it allowed me to feel like this food was available, that I could have it as often as I wanted. And it allowed me to practice the intuitive eating principle of unconditional permission to eat, even though technically I was not giving myself unconditional permission to eat. For some reason, you know, if I went above a pint, then that was a big deal for me, but I still wouldn't binge or purge from it. But um, I wasn't allowing other foods, but I was allowing that daily. And so it kind of built this trust with food. And it also lowered the scarcity of food for me. What it did was having that treat constantly, the chocolate constantly, something I really, really liked. It allowed me to be like, this food isn't so rare. This food where we can have it tonight and then we can have it again tomorrow. And it built this idea in my brain of no matter how often you eat it, you're allowed to have more. You were actually allowed to have more. And in intuitive eating, a big thing that they always tell you is remind yourself that you can have more, but you never, ever believe that. Like when you're wanting to binge on something, they say, remind yourself that you can have it tomorrow if you want. But if you're used to restricting and if you're used to constantly telling yourself this is the last time and you actually follow through with those rules, no matter if you just say it, you're not going to believe it. And so this exercise of me having that ice cream over and over again, allowed me to trust that when I said, you can have it tomorrow, I promise. And then actually doing it, following through, built that trust within me of like, you know, it is actually available. And it made the feverish scarcity and longing and uh, wanting that I had for that food toned down over time. And I think I ate this way for at least a month. My boyfriend and I were laughing about it the other day because he was like, yeah, I remember you going through multiple, I remember we were buying multiple bottles and I thought, is this okay? Is she all right? Do I need to talk to her or something like that? Not that he was trying to monitor my food, but he knew my history. So he was kind of like, should I be concerned? You know, is something more going on here? But he said he left me to it because he, I seemed so confident. I seemed happier and I felt like I knew what I was doing and I didn't seem worried about it. So thank goodness he was so supportive. But the point about all this is that I didn't end up eating Hershey's magic shell. 
And hey, let's have ice cream daily for the rest of my life. Eventually what happened is that I got kind of sick of it. I was like, oh, this again. Um, and then I kind of moved on to other foods. I was still like eight, but whenever we had pizza, I allowed myself to have the pizza, even though I ate at least half the pizza, if not more than half the pizza. Sometimes I'd eat a full pizza, but I'd allow myself to eat it and not purge, even though sometimes I really wanted to. I was like, oh, fuck, this is too many calories. I'm going to gain weight. I definitely gained weight in that period. It was fluctuating quite a bit. Um, but those behaviors, if I had thought during that, this is going to be the rest of my life, oh my God, I probably would have stopped. I somehow in the back of my mind, I knew that this isn't going to be forever. And I just needed to try something different. I had faith that trying it the different way, not restricting, would allow me to at least build some trust with myself and get to the spot where I didn't necessarily want it all the time. And eventually things like the ice cream, things like the pizza got less rare for me and less enticing. And I still love pizza. Don't get me wrong, but I'm not like, Oh my God, pizza, because I know I can have it when I want it. And it's not this big deal. And it's just pizza, just like other foods are. It's just a donut. It's just that when I'm back in recovery, I didn't feel that way. And so if I had thought I was going to do this stuff forever, yeah, I would have been panicked and I would have freaked out, but I didn't. What I ended up doing after that is I started introducing more foods. Like I allow myself to have peanut butter in the house and I started having more chips and stuff like that in the house. And over time, that evolved. And I stopped, I started getting more sick of those foods. I will still grab chips from time to time. I like, I'm, a, I'm on a tortilla chip kick right now, actually that and salsa, I'm really liking those foods. But over time, even though that was not, I would define as like a healthy way of eating, it definitely didn't necessarily help uh, my energy. I was like crashing a lot from all the sugar I was eating, that sort of stuff. It definitely helped me calm down around that food. And it also showed me what I didn't want. I didn't feel super great during that period health-wise and eventually led me to wanting to make changes in my life in a sustainable way. The whole point being, what I did in recovery is not what I do now. Now I maybe will have ice cream once or twice a week, really just like once a week. I make a lot of banana ice cream and not because like... I really want the actual ice cream, but I'm making banana ice cream instead. It's just like a healthy option that I actually enjoy. I have it for breakfast a lot, with some protein pancakes, actually. That's delicious. I really love it. I have a much more sustainable, healthy diet now than I ever, ever did. And that's because I allowed myself that period to kind of go a little bit crazy with food and then slowly reel it back in, in it from better intentions than I need to lose weight. I need to lose weight now. And I don't care what means I use in order to lose that weight. Um, you won't continue eating forever. And also something interesting is that I had boundaries with food in the beginning, which I don't think a lot of people talk about. They don't talk about how um, they're like, just have all your binge foods in your house all at once, eat everything all at once. I didn't do that. There was this specific treat food I allowed myself to have, and that was it. And it wasn't until I went weeks and weeks without binging that I felt confident enough to introduce other foods into my life. So what you do in the beginning of recovery is not always what you're going to do later on. And it's certainly not what you're going to do post-recovery. Your taste might change. I tried Magic Shell, Hershey's Magic Shell um, sauce about a year ago, and I didn't even like it that much. Like it was just okay. I couldn't believe how often I ate that stuff 
knowing like I was like always look forward to it and how it wasn't really that exciting. And once I tried it again, your taste will change, your preferences will change, your mindset around food will change if you allow yourself certain things in recovery. And also moving away from food urges, managing urges, it gets different as you go on in recovery. A lot of people think when they first go through that hurdle of feeling their emotions, processing their emotions, it's incredibly tough and overwhelming. Sometimes it's easy for people, depends on like, if they're really good at dismissing the thoughts of urges right away, it doesn't take that much emotional work and they're fine. But some people, they have a lot to process, getting rid of their eating disorder, stopping binging and purging their coping mechanism really um, brings up a lot of old traumas for them, a lot of emotions they haven't dealt with in a while, and a lot of their anxiety that they were channeling through uh, bulimia, that sort of stuff, it's there. So they have to process a lot and it feels incredibly difficult. Also, I've been learning a lot about dopamine deficiency and that's for another podcast, but literally your baseline of how your reward system is functioning and your dopamine usually among other neurochemicals is not actually at the level it should be for what a normal, regular functioning human being should be. If you're constantly rewarding yourself things like binging, it's actually lower than what it would be um, most likely. So when you stop the binging and purging, it's not like you just return to baseline. You should return lower to baseline and you need that um, time away from the high reward, high potency reward things you're doing like binging or alcohol or sugar, whatever, to go back to baseline to have your um, system start functioning regularly again. So sometimes in the beginning of recovery, you feel worse before you feel better. And you need that time to feel bad in order to actually feel a lot better. It seems so counterintuitive. But the problem with that is people in the beginning of their recovery process, they're like, I feel like shit, I feel like absolute shit. This is not what I wanted. I finally stopped binging and purging and I feel worse than I did before when I was binging and purging. And that's when they turn back. That's when they think, well, screw this. This isn't fun. This isn't helping me. What was the point? At least when I was binging and purging, I had something that felt good. And they don't realize they just need more time in that zone to actually get through it. But they think it's going to be forever. They think it's going to be like that for a long time. They think that managing that one urge was so incredibly difficult. You're telling me I have to do that for the rest of my life? No not telling you have to do that for the rest of your life. I'm telling you, you have to do that initially and it gets easier and easier. It's like um, resistance training. I use that those examples a lot because I love resistance training. But um, when you first move that weight and you've, you haven't worked out for a while, it's going to be super heavy. Your muscles are probably going to start twitching, shaking. They're going to be fatigued. They're not going to know how to do the movement very well. It's all around going to be not very fun. And you're going to be completely exhausted. And you're like, you're telling me you have to, I have to do 10 more reps of that five more reps. Or are you insane? But then as your body, and then you're really sore. If you haven't worked out in a while, you're probably going to be really sore depending on how you train. Um, but over time, your body adapts and you actually get uh, better at handling the load, the weight that you're putting on. And that weight that was so, so heavy before, you actually are able to lift quite well and you're able to move up in weight. And then even when you move up in weight, it's not as bad because you're used to the feeling you've gotten adaptive to the stimulus, you know how to move. Same thing with recovery. It's not that it's, it is incredibly hard, but it's not like you're going, it's going to be that hard for the rest of your life. It's the initial phase that you have to go through that's difficult. And if you can have faith that it will get better, then it's going to be easier. And that's where a lot of people have 
trust issues with himself. So like, it's never gotten better before. Um, so why should I believe that it should be better now? Well, one thing I'd say is that maybe you haven't tried it for this long. You are trying something new. So give it a go. And also if you're trying to do something you've never done before, you can't use past evidence for how it's not going to work, which is counterintuitive. We should always look into our past for um, how to perceive our future. But sometimes when you're trying to do something that you've never accomplished before, you have to go into the logic of the future. You have to think into the future and think, well, how could it be possible? And by asking yourself that question, it can kind of be allow your brain to look for evidence as to why it's possible. But stop using evidence from the past to predict your future. It's not a fortune teller. It's just showing you what you've done in the past. And it can be good sometimes at predicting things, but it's not always accurate, especially if you're trying to do something that you've never, ever accomplished before. So hopefully this has all made sense. The whole point of this podcast is that, and I got so many likes in that post I made um, last week. So that's why I wanted to address it because clearly a lot of people are, are struggling with that. What you do in recovery isn't always what you're going to do later on in your recovery. It won't always be as difficult as it is right now. What you eat in recovery will probably change and evolve. We Our diets constantly evolve depending on what scenario you are in life. Um, you know, If you got pregnant, your diet's going to obviously change and vice versa. Uh, but there are a lot of things that change. Don't expect what you do now to be what you do for the rest of your life. You would never say that to anyone. And I think whenever you ask someone like a question like that, of like, well, is this forever? It's like, how do you know what's forever? You're going to be a different person in two years, five years, 10 years. Uh, the life I live now and the way I am with nutrition, I am sure the old Jacqueline of recovery who's eating that ice cream and Hershey's magic shell every single night. And I would also do this weird thing. I, I would have Ritz crackers for some reason. I felt safe with those two. And I'd like put the Hershey's magic shell over the Ritz crackers, the salty, sweet chocolate. I'd eat it with that. So that was sure the Jacqueline that was constantly eating those things in this delusional world that oh, this isn't binge eating, even though it was like very, very much so emotional eating and eating more. It was definitely overeating. It wasn't binge eating. I'm sure that Jacqueline would stare at this Jacqueline now and be like, oh my God, how is that even fucking possible? You had a salad for lunch and like tofu and squash for dinner and it wasn't a big fucking deal. And then you had pizza on the weekend and then you didn't even let that turn into like a week long binge. How did you do that? time and effort and being willing to trust yourself to go through the process of change. Those, those nights, that month, those months actually of like transitioning from one step, like introducing more fear foods and constantly allowing myself to have that food, even though it seemed indulgent and silly and unhealthy, it allowed me the time I needed to build trust with food again, going through the pain and discomfort of feeling my emotions even though a lot of times I had to just lie in bed and I couldn't, I didn't have a much like enough energy, emotional capacity to do anything else other than feel urges and lie in bed for months at a time that lasted longer than the food did really. Um, it got easier and it got better and it allowed me what I needed to learn and grow from that experience. And now I'm a completely different person and you will be too. Don't think that whatever you're doing right now to cope, is going to be forever. Also, I said this in my post and I'll say it here. You're allowed to have boundaries with food and you're allowed to change those rules over time. If you don't feel safe doing certain things, you don't have to do those things. Just do 
one thing that's a micro step in the right direction. For example, one person in my group, she finally committed to having regular meals. She's still binging and purging, but she's binging and purging less. And that was one step in the right direction for her. Even though she's not cut out the binging and purging completely, it's making it easier. So um, take one little tiny step in the right direction um, in that direction that you fear so much. It doesn't have to be a full grand leap, just a teeny tiny baby step. And that will help you more than you know. Okay, I'm going to let you guys go. If you found this episode useful and helpful and you want more information, my Binge Breakers Recovery course is an amazing place that covers tons of information on how you can manage and process urges and emotions, how you can intuitively eat without, you know, falling face first into a cake. And there's a a wonderful community there full of people that are very supportive and share their stories and um, talk with each other and just, you know, share a bunch of wisdom. So if you want to be a part of that, if you need help with your recovery, this is the place to do it. It will help streamline your recovery process. And it's something that I wish I had when I was going through bulimia recovery, which is why I made it. And also I just enjoy being creative and helping people solve their solutions. And it's fun to have this as my job. So there you go. Those are all the reasons why you should join. Um, you can always find that at just bingebreakers.com slash recovery dash force. Okay. Uh, I hope you guys have a wonderful weekend. I will actually be back home this weekend. My parents are having an anniversary party, uh, which they don't usually do, but um, they were just thinking it's one of their big ones. They're thinking, let's make it fancy. So it'll be like outdoor little party. Should be a fun time, Um, but I'm going home to help my mom out and actually be at the party. Uh, And it'll be beautiful that time of year. We're next to the orchard. So uh, I don't know if, I don't think apples will be in full bloom, but uh, It'll, it always smells nice there because the orchard trees. Anyway, I'm being weird now. Uh, I hope you guys have a wonderful weekend. I hope you guys get to do something fun for yourself. And um, thank you so much for listening. And remember that what you do in recovery now isn't what you'll do forever. Allow, trust yourself enough to know that you will adapt and change, okay? Never give up on yourself, my friend. Bye.